everyone, it's Marika here. Welcome to the episode. Today we talk to Molly Galbraith, woman in charge at Girls Gone Strong, and she answers your questions. So she talks about body image, some of the strategies that she follows to try and make sure that all her self-worth is not tied up in how she looks. We talk about her journey in fitness and health, um, what's been happening at Girls Gone Strong. We talk about imposter syndrome, which I know a lot of us suffer from. Um, and also Molly talks about just some tips on how to stay same during these really difficult times with COVID-19 and all of us are dealing with the isolation that's associated with that. So lots of great stuff in this episode. If you enjoy it, please like and share and do all that kind of stuff so that we know that you're enjoying it and we can keep making this content for you guys. So thank you. Hi, welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. Together we interview leading authorities, we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that the materials and the content on this podcast are intended as general information and they're for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the podcast and welcome back Marika. Thank nice to have you back again. Uh you're working in your new office. You didn't sing with Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. Yes, I'm in my I'm in my office which is my bedroom because there's too many people in my house right now. It's very hard to find space. As I'm sure Beautiful. you are all familiar with. Yeah, oh, my, wife, my wife is just about six feet away from me. So, um, hi, Diane. Uh, they said hello, Diane. I've got earphones on, but she said hello back. Uh, <laughs> uh, so and we've got Molly. We've got Molly here. Thank you, Molly, for agreeing to a, an Ask Me Anything episode. Um, you know, stressful times and people look. People do look to uh, to people that they love and respect for leadership, and it's so great that you've been able to, um, you know, show that leadership in in how you've been uh, doing, going about your work and your messaging, and um, and you know, I'm sure people want to uh, hear about what you're doing in these times, as well as just get to know you a little bit more. And you know, our our podcasts have been fantastic, and I I love uh getting to know you uh each time we either meet in person or on the podcast so it's been um it's been great to have you back thank you thank you for having me i love being on the podcast with you while i was talking to my mom shortly before this so my my family is actually doing a like a virtual zoom family meeting right now and um i told her that i couldn't make it but that i was live on the podcast uh, or live on the women's health podcast page so my family might also be having a zoom meeting watching us have a zoom meeting on the women's health podcast but i told her <laughs> how much i loved uh chatting with you all because we are friends outside of just you know being industry colleagues and stuff so i appreciate you all having having me back and having me on hello to the whole Galbraith Sears family. Well, lots of love mm -hmm. to you all. I just wanted to say that um, I know that Molly's a bit like Madonna and Cher, Cher but she does have, her, her surname is Galbraith for those that haven't met Molly. We just assume that everybody in the world knows Molly. <laughs> but this is you Molly know. Galbraith, who is the woman in charge of Girls Gone Strong, who Auntie and I have, I have the, I have the great fortune of, of doing some work with over the past few years. Um, Molly has been, uh, yeah, like Anthony said, stepping up and putting out so much amazing content through GGS and through through the group that she's about to. You're gonna be happy to tell us about the, the coalition because I think this is yeah. a, an amazing project that you guys have put together. But why don't you tell us how what you what you've been doing for people who are stuck at home in isolation, stressing out. Yeah, absolutely. So I was super lucky to be included as a founding member of the Coalition of Health and Fitness Leaders, which is um, a, a group of um, industry leaders, you could say, who wanted to come together. And, you know, some people could even say that we are competitors in some sense of the word, you know, we offer different um, certifications or programs that, you know, people might um, buy 
in, um, you know, instead of another one or whatever. So it, we thought it was a really great time for a group of industry leaders to come together and provide some sort of support and guidance at this point in time. Um, we're careful not to say that like, we're providing all of these answers, right? Because this is something that none of us have ever dealt with, a global pandemic um, where the entire like, you know, kind of world is shutting down a bit and dealing with all of these different stressors. But we felt as though there were, there was, you know, different experiences or things that we could provide. So it's Precision Nutrition, Girls Gone Strong, um, the PTDC, the Personal Trainer Development Center and Online Trainer Academy with Jonathan Goodman. Um, and Renaissance Periodization and then Trainerize. So we were the founding members of the Coalition of Health and Fitness Leaders, and we've been doing expert panels um, every Thursday at the um, healthandfitnesscoalition.com website. And also we put together this really incredible resource pack where everyone from the coalition has donated um, free information, resources, downloads. So Girls Gone Strong created 60, over 60 at-home workouts and training programs that can be done with just body weight or just dumbbells that health and fitness professionals or anyone who's interested in um, getting access to those can download. We did it um, because at least for our students, we originally created it for our students and grads, but wanted to provide it to anyone who thought that it might be useful for them. Um, it's designed so that they can just download it and send it straight to their clients because Yes, a lot of clients need at-home workouts they can do right now, but they also need a ton of emotional support and a ton of just like connection with their with their trainer or their physio or whoever, whatever health and fitness professional they're working with, their nutrition coach. So instead of these coaches having to scramble and write, you know, try to figure out at-home workouts or instead of the client being like, okay, I have a bag of rice and a gallon jug of water and a whatever designed me a workout. We just wanted to go ahead and design workouts that could be done with just body weight or just dumbbells, send them to our um, coaches and trainers and students and grads and anyone who wanted to download it so they could just download those programs and send them over straight to their clients. So that's one of the resources that's included in the Coalition of Health and Fitness, Reader, uh, Health and Fitness Leaders Resource Pack. There's also a free book about getting started in online training from John, uh, Jonathan Goodman. There's access to a bunch of great information from Dr. John Berardi um, and his Changemaker Academy. So Changemaker Academy is also a founding member um, of the organization of the Coalition of Health and Fitness Leaders. So we've been doing our best to provide free resources and not just like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff that we need you to wade through. It's like, okay, here's done for you workouts if that's going to be most help helpful for you. Here's a way that you can um, learn about online training. Here's where you can sign up for Trainerize, you know, for free for 30 days or whatever. We're trying to give people really specific, tangible, actionable things that they can implement into their businesses right away. And the feedback has been incredible. Some of our grads have said, hey, the workouts that you sent me have actually allowed me to transition my entire business from in-person to online in the last four days. Um, so it's been the feedback that we've gotten from those has been really incredible because we know that we're not only helping health and fitness professionals preserve their livelihood and some capacity to feed their family, but we're also helping them take care of their clients, mental health, physical health, emotional health, and then theirs as well. So it's been, it's been a very rewarding experience and a great way for me to spend my time as I'm kind of trying to personally navigate everything that's going on. Yeah, that sounds really fantastic, Molly, and um, and really love just how you know generous you've been with your time and um, and your support. And the, one of the um, I was trying to tell somebody earlier today, like you're just so genuine and generous and giving and and um, you know spending time with my daughter when you came to Sydney, like um, you know being able to provide resources for 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 your community and other communities like that has been fantastic. Um, one question that we did have, um, and by the way, on the Facebook lives, I will be looking to the left and keeping an eye on the different places where we've, we've gone live. So if you do have a question for Molly, um, please feel free to ask and, uh, we'll make sure that they get to her. We've got some of the questions that we got from the Instagram and Facebook posts that we've done as well. So we'll try to get through all of that as quickly as possible. Um, one of the questions, uh, just to get to know you a little bit more, sorry, uh, is just a brief journey about your fitness experience, because people may not have uh, heard about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I've shared this on the podcast before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, so I've been in health and fitness for over 16 years now. Um, I was an uh, 
competitive gymnast for a few years growing up and then was a cheerleader and then gained a significant amount of weight at the end of high school and beginning of college. I was became really sedentary and in 2004 decided I wanted to get in shape and kind of dove headfirst into um, the world of health and fitness started dating a guy who was a trainer and he did competitive bodybuilding and powerlifting. So was thrust into the world of um, that kind of intense exercise and dieting and stuff really early and started competing in figure competitions and powerlifting competitions, which doesn't sound that unique now, but 16 years ago, it was uh, you know pretty rare to have a woman in the gym training for powerlifting. And oftentimes I was the only woman on the weight Side of the gym. Um, so I did that for several years. And uh, if people for, aren't familiar with figure, it's kind of a mix between bikini and bodybuilding. So you're more muscular than bikini and you're a bit less muscular and less lean than bodybuilding. Um, and so I did that for several years. And after every competition, my body would rebound really badly afterwards and I would gain a significant amount of weight again. And um, after my last competition, I ended up gaining a bunch of weight and feeling really out of sorts. So I went to the doctor, was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid uh, hypothyroidism, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome and adrenal dysfunction. So there was a feedback loop issue between my brain and my adrenals, gained a bunch of weight, struggled a lot with my kind of self-worth and body image associated with that weight gain. Cause for the last five years, I'd gotten so much positive attention for the way that my body looked. Um, and I didn't realize it, but a lot of my identity had become wrapped up in being the really lean fit girl. And so um, struggled with that for a little while, started working with a great doctor, started getting my health under control. Um, and then for about two or three years, I really focused on getting my health under control, building a solid foundation, movement foundation so that I could get stronger in powerlifting. And at the beginning of 2012, things were good. My health was more under control. Um, I was getting stronger again in the gym, and then my dad died unexpectedly. Um, I found out he was sick on a Saturday night, and he died on a Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Um, and a couple weeks later, I injured myself in the gym deadlifting and started having chronic low back pain. So I had chronic pain for two years, could hardly tie my shoes. Um, and I was a gym owner at that time as well. So I was having to coach clients, demonstrate exercises when I was in immense amounts of pain. And... Uh, ended up leaving a six-year relationship that year as well. So as you can imagine, 2012, nutrition and exercise were not my main priority and gained some weight back. And by that point in time, I had co-founded Girls Gone Strong as well. So I've co-founded Girls Gone Strong. I have a blog. I have um, a YouTube channel where I've been posting videos. I have an online presence. I own my own gym. I'm doing... Um, uh, seminars and workshops about coaching and training women. And here I am, I've gained quite a bit of weight back. I am in chronic pain and can hardly tie my shoes. I'm not really able to work out and I'm just really struggling. So end of 2012, I um, was at a Girls Gone Strong meetup and I went to the bathroom and I stepped on the scale and I realized I had regained basically all of the weight that I had lost um, about nine years ago in my fitness journey. And I just kind of had a breakdown. Um, I realized I was thinking to myself, like, who am I to run this organization called Girls Gone Strong when I can't lift? I can't, I can hardly demonstrate exercises. I can't tie my shoes. I've gained all this weight. I can't, I don't have any control over my own body. Um, who am I to run this organization? Who am I to teach other people how to be strong? And the crummiest part was that I wasn't the only person who was saying that. I was getting horrible comments from people on the internet making fun of my body. I was hearing that women in my community were telling other women not to come to my gym because they might look like me. And one of the male presenters that we invited to speak at um, one of our conferences was making fun of my body to people that were working for me and my partner at the time. So it was a really difficult year. 2000, that was spring of 2013. I was like, cool, the way that I'm going to fix this is I'm going to lose the weight again. And uh, hired a nutrition coach, was working with him for a little while. And um, I was making some progress. And one week I hadn't really made any progress. And, you know, I had sent him pictures of myself, my progress pictures in my bathing suit. And he was sending me this workout and, or sending me my nutrition. And I looked down and my meal plan was the same, except it was missing a slice of avocado. And I just like, broke down in tears and lost it and was like, is this what I want for my life? 
to send pictures of my body to some dude a couple states over so that he can tell me I can't eat avocado anymore. Like, this is not what I want for my life. This is not who I want to be. This is not how I want to live. And so at that point in time, I was like, screw it. I want to get to a place where I feel good in my body, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it can do. Um, you know, it's really popular right now. The pendulum is kind of sw swinging a bit away from the way women's bodies look and more like, don't worry about how you look, just focus on what you can do. But like, that's a trap too, you know, cause that can be taken away from you just as easily as, you know, your aesthetics or the way that your body looks. So I decided at that point in time, I just wanted to like myself regardless of how my body looked and not be so consumed with you know, constantly pulling my shirt up and pinching my belly to see if I'd made progress or feeling badly because a certain pair of pants didn't fit me anymore. So I started that kind of self-love journey in 2013 and was sharing very openly and transparently online the whole time. So was sharing, you know, photos of my cellulite and my stretch marks and things, which again, seems really commonplace now for people to do that. But back then to have a health and fitness, a female health and fitness professional say, yeah, I've got stretch marks. Yeah. I've got cellulite. Yeah. I've got rolls on my stomach, you know, <laughs> right. And we could say, what you're human too. I can't believe it. Um, that was really, um, yeah, new. And I, I broke the internet a couple different times with posts, uh, in that, in that same vein. So, I've, and by that point in time, I had been in therapy. So I've been in therapy for 12 years. Um, started going in 2008 when I was in a relationship with a former boyfriend because I struggled to be vulnerable in our relationship. And the joke is that therapy worked too well because now I'm vulnerable on the internet. So um, therapy works, y'all. Uh, so I started, um, yeah, doing that. So I've been in therapy for 12 years. And so I had a lot of tools and skills. I hadn't originally gone to therapy for body image struggles, but the, a lot of what I gained in therapy was able to help me with those body image struggles. And I had a lot of tools and skills to kind of overcome that. So yeah, the last seven years I've been doing that for myself and helping, gosh, probably tens, hundreds of thousands of women all over the world do it for themselves as well. And teaching health and Sorry. fitness professionals how to help women do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just unmuting myself there, Molly. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, it probably following on from that was there was a question from I think this is from Instagram, and people have Instagram names that I'm, I'm not I can't pronounce. Anyway, um, when did you feel your self worth was no longer connected to your body shape? Because that's a nice follow up from that one. Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, like anything else, it's not a linear progression, right? Like when we see like what we think progress looks like, and it's like what progress actually looks like. Um, so certainly it took some time after I got, after I started working on my relationship with my body, but I would say the big kind of light bulb moment for me was January 1st, 2016. So um, in December, 2015, I was, uh, in Costa Rica with my partner and I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? I, I want, I want you to take a picture of me in a bathing suit. And I don't want it to be like, this is a before picture, or this is an after picture. It's like, this is just what my body looks like today. Like, like there isn't a before and after, like there, there's no such thing as that. They, you know, it's just like this continuous lifelong journey that we're always on. So I was like, just take, take a picture of me and I'll post it. And so he took the picture of me and we got back to the States and we were in Nebraska visiting his family for Christmas and I, and some time passed. And I was like, Oh man, I haven't posted that picture yet. I want to make that. I want to make that social media post or whatever. And when you are a content creator or educator for a living, you have an idea of what posts are you think your community is going to be interested in or will resonate with them. And this is one I thought people would like. And so I'm like typing the caption and I'm like, this is my body. This is not a before picture. This is not an after picture. This is just what my body looks like today. And I'm kind of talking a little bit about my journey and I get to the end of it and I'm like, it's missing. Like the, what's the point of this? What's the point of this post? And I was like, holy cow, it's January 1st. And I have not made a resolution to change how my body looks. Whoa. And my mind just like, like, that's the thing. It's the first time in as long as I can remember. And I was like, I feel so free. And um, so I posted that and it ended up going mega viral and reaching 440 million people worldwide. Um, and yeah, it was pretty wild. It got picked up by like people and Cosmopolitan and Time and Today Show and all this kind of stuff. And so all these celebrities and um, 
the really wild part is like, you know, it is not lost on me that it's like, like breaking news, woman in US likes her body, you know, like story at 11, right? Um, but that's what happened. It's like, I literally had the audacity to raise my hand and be like, I like my body and don't want to change it. And people's minds like blue all over the globe, which shows you the state of the world, you know, that so many of us, you know, the state that so many of us were in. Um, so I'd say it was probably beginning of 2016 when I really had that realization, like the way that my, I, I, I no longer feel the need to change the way that my body looks because I think there's something wrong with it. Now, for me, that doesn't mean that I never have goals. I have had different goals, you know, since then, like I've, um, one of my goals has been to get jacked, to gain as much muscle as possible, which for me was a really fun and healthy and exciting goal to say like, okay, I dealt with chronic pain for so long. I, my only goal in the gym was to not be in pain. Like I did that for several years. Um, so it was really fun to be like, you know what? I actually want to follow a training program now. My lower back feels good. I feel healthy. I want to feel strong and like an athlete again. Um, so I've set different goals for myself, but it's never been like, I'm gross. There's something wrong with my body. If I don't look like this, then I'm not a worthy human or woman or fitness professional. So I have to fix it. It's just been like, this would be really cool. Like I also recently got, um, I'm in Arizona right now and we've been doing a lot of hiking. I recently got a heart rate monitor. It's been super fun for me to wear my heart rate monitor and see, you know, what my heart rate's like doing different hikes and stuff like that. It tells me how many calories are burned, but I don't, um, assign any value to that. You know, it's not like I have to burn this many calories. It's more fun to be like, Ooh, I want to get my heart rate in this zone for this amount of time. What exercise will do that? So, you know, I'm, I still set different goals for myself, but it's from a place of excitement and possibility instead of fixing or having something wrong with my body. Somebody's muted. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that would be me. I'm going, oh my goodness, I'm on the wrong screen. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, the good thing is, of course, is that it was on speaker view, so they just saw you and not me struggling. Uh, <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting that transformation that you've had and, um, and, you know, those simple mind blowing moments that you've described, you know, it's, it's very relatable and, um, so simple which i love you know the simplicity of it all and then just sharing that message is so important um you know there's there's many different types of questions that we've got uh one of the questions is you know you, you've described 12 years of therapy you've described your journey the ups the downs the the nutrition the fitness the modes of exercise what you're doing now with your exercise in arizona um this question is an interesting one. Uh, it, it says um, from Get Mobile Fitness, how long did it how long did it take to get on top of your body image issues? So in all of that journey, are you ever over it? Is there a point in time when you went, boom, this is it? Was it that New Year's Day? And it's like, hey, I don't feel the need to change my body. Like, what would you say to that kind of question? Yeah, so it took a lot of um, intention and uh, focus and like actively, the good news is, is like um, there are things that you can actually do to improve your body image. So that's really, really um, powerful because it allows you to take some responsibility and have some ownership over it and say like, I can actually do something about this, which is really cool. For me, it's kind of like, um, almost reminds me a little bit of like, when I've been in pain, it's like, okay, so the pain's really bad and it's constant or whatever. So in the beginning, the body image stuff is just like, it's really negative and it's all the time. And so, but over time I have the negativity of my self-talk and my body image struggles has decreased significantly. And the time between me having those episodes has gotten longer and longer to the point where, um, it's my self-talk is, is rarely negative about my body. Um, when it happens, it's, you know, that it's a lot more rare as well, similar to my pain. And I'm able to change what it actually means to me, similar to my pain, right? I used to be afraid of pain. I used to feel like my 
you know, pain meant there was something wrong with me. I was broken. I was fragile. And now I'm like, okay, it's, it's my body communicating something to me. It's my body, you know, thinking it's protecting me or whatever. I'm able to change what it means to me. So now it's not like I, I'm like, oh, I don't even notice my cellulite. It's like, no, I notice it. I just know it doesn't mean shit about who I am as a human. You know, it doesn't mean anything about me. It doesn't mean anything about my worth or, you know, um, my value as a coach or whatever. So I've been able to change the, you know, I, it's not that I don't see that, see it on my body. I just, it doesn't mean the same thing that it used to. So um, I would say, yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare for me to have like a really bad body image day. And I'm also young and in pretty good shape. And you know what I mean? Like I've got all of these, like, is this going to be different in 20 years or 30? Years? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I would like to think that I'm building the resilience and um, really expanding my, expanding the things in which I put my self-worth, you know what I mean? Like I wanted my self-worth to be something that couldn't be taken away from me, but there, I do have my self-worth wrapped up in my ability to help people and my knowledge and my um, position as woman in charge of Girls Gone Strong and my, you know, relationship with my partner. Like it's kind of um, varied. It's kind of like spread out a lot more so that if I lost any one of those things, I think I could be okay. Um, so for me, it's been like, it's definitely been a journey where over time, my self-talk has diminished significantly. The episodes that I have in which I feel badly about my body have decreased a lot. And that now I can notice those things and I have much more of a neutral opinion on them um, to where my, my you know, I, I, I like my body. I feel comfortable in my body. I like feeling strong, but it doesn't mean any, you know, doesn't mean anything about who I am. So I would say that um, it took several years of just really consciously first being aware of how I was talking to myself. Um, the second thing was getting really clear on my values and what I believed and who I wanted to be in the world. Like, do I actually agree with the fact that, you know, having cellulite on the backs of my legs means that I'm not a good coach or trainer, that I can't help women achieve their goals, that, you know, does it erase the 16 years of experience that I have or, you know, in this field? No, I don't agree with that. Um, you know, do I agree that the most important thing about me is the way that I look? No, I don't agree with that. So getting clear on my values has been really helpful. And then even just questioning these things, like it's so ingrained in us to, to think like cellulite's bad, this body shape or size is bad. Like if you look like this, then you're out of shape or you're lazy or you're whatever. So even just saying like, hey, I'm going to question all this stuff that I've been taught to believe for so long has been, again, really powerful for me. Same thing with pain. Like you, we think these things. And so taking the opportunity to question them and saying, hold on a second, do I agree with this stuff? Is this even true? Is this right? How do I know? Is it true all the time? You know, questioning those things has been really powerful for me. Slowly changing my um, thoughts uh, and my self-talk from like really negative to slightly negative and then slightly negative to more neutral and then neutral to somewhat positive and then um, somewhat positive to really positive the same way that we progress someone through exercise, right? You don't take someone from like, you know, really struggling with something all the way to the most advanced version of the exercise overnight typically. So just slowly progressing myself to more positive thoughts has been useful. Focusing on um, ways that, that I add value to the world outside of my body and focusing on the ways that my body adds value to the world outside of the way that it looks, all that stuff's been really helpful for me. So I'd say now I'm in a pretty darn good place. Um, I don't really have super negative body image days. Um, I think that I probably, you know, will again at some point in time. And again, might struggle with if my body changes five years from now, if I you know, as I age or whatever, I, I think I'll have new kind of roadblocks or hurdles to overcome and new um, things that I'm struggling with that I have to learn how to deal with. But, you know, having the tools and stuff from therapy has been really useful. And um, yeah, just being able to change, change the way that I view the things that I notice, the belly rolls, the stretch marks, the cellulite, the whatever, being able to assign a different meaning or lack of meaning to those things has been really useful for me. Thank you, Molly. Um, I would just add on that. Molly did a, we did a podcast with Molly a little while back where Anthony's daughter, Amy, got to ask Molly a whole bunch of questions on um, self-worth and body image. And 
Molly spent an hour giving a lot of tips on that stuff. So I'd encourage everyone if this is because obviously there's been a few questions on this and we want to get to a whole bunch of other questions as well. Mm -hmm. But if that, if this is something that you want to learn more about, go back and listen to that episode because Molly literally like gives maps out, um, you know, some really good tips on on self-care and and how you can help change your body image. It's really funny as your hands were doing this sort of, you know, like a meter going up, all I could visualize in my head was the Australian fire fire thing where it's like um, we have mild to moderate and then we go to severe and then we go to like catastrophic and (laughs) we're still like down here. It's like, anyway, sorry, my mind just went there. Um, totally changing tact. Um, if anyone's on Facebook at the moment, can you drop a comment, um, ask a question, like it, share it. Uh, let's try and get lots of, get lots of people in this podcast. Cause it's not often that you get to actually ask questions of Molly and Molly has said that she's, she's open to pretty much chat about whatever. So, um, please drop your questions in if you have any, but we're going to take a little sidestep if that's all right. So this is a question from Alex, who's in the coaching and training women group. She says, um, my question would be around mindset. So how to cultivate and strengthen a mindset that'll help us through the next weeks. I have a decent home gym and so far I'm consistent with workouts. Nutrition is a bit hit and miss, but it always is. I'm really wondering what another few weeks of isolation will do psychologically and how to best prepare. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, and I think that it's important to note that um, the suggestions, like I, as a neurotypical person, a person who doesn't have any type of like mental illness or struggles in that way, I think it's really important to note, like the suggestions and tips that I'm going to give might be useful for everyone, but they, I think it's difficult to tell someone with depression or anxiety, just change your mindset, right? Like there are certain things that tools that we can um, give individuals who are struggling with those types of things. But I do want to be careful and saying like, yeah, you can just fix your mindset if you do X, Y, and Z. Cause I know that's not always the case, um, for everyone that said, I do have, I, this probably is a good time to say, I do have some, uh, body focused, um, obsessive compulsive tendencies, which are really interesting. I have talked, I've talked about this on Instagram, so I don't uh, formally, I haven't been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, but I do have a, a mild case of a thing called trichotillomania. Um, most people who have, or a lot of people who have trichotillomania actually pull their hair out from their head and I don't pull mine out, but I pick at it and it's caused actually some, some breakage and stuff of my hair. And it is a, like I said, a, um, body focused obsessive compulsive tendency of mine. It's, a um, something that I've been doing since high school. And when I talked about that publicly on Instagram, I got an outpouring of um, just messages from people saying like, oh my gosh, my daughter has that. She's actually lost all of her hair or I have a different body focused, obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, I pick at my skin or I do these things, you know, I create scabs and stuff on all over myself. So um, I do want to be really open and saying that because I think the more that we can be transparent about things that we struggle with, the better. Um, but like I said, I haven't formally been diagnosed. I'm considered neurotypical. I don't have a mental illness or anything, but, you know, going to therapy again has given me a lot of tools over the years to, um, to learn how to care for myself. So for me, when I find and I I am also finding myself um, a bit anxious and uncertain right now. I'm kind of oscillating right now between feeling grateful and feeling um, prepared in a lot of ways for, and when I say prepared, I mean prepared for uncertainty because so much of my life as a business owner, my partner is also a business owner. Um, we don't have any kids, pets, or plants, so we travel a lot and don't always know where we're going to be. So when I say prepared, I mean prepared in terms of a lot of my life is lived with a lot of uncertainty. So I do feel like I have some skills to deal, um, to deal with that. But, and yet I am, you know, as someone who runs an organization that, you know, pays 30 to 40 people every two weeks, um, for different, you know, as contractors or employees or whatever, I am feeling a lot of, a bit of anxiety and a lot of pressure to, um, you know, kind of keep it together and manage a team and reprioritize and stuff during this time. So I I do have that kind of stuff going on. And when I find myself getting really anxious, it's been super helpful for me to just stop and take like 10 to 15 really deep breaths. And that sounds really simple, but it's a really calming for my nervous system to kind of bring me back down and center and ground me a little bit. That's been really useful. 
Um, it's also been really useful when I feel like I have a lot of stuff to do. I think it's interesting. Some of us are struggling because we feel like we have so much to do. And some of us are struggling because we're trying to fill our time. You know, for me, I'm on the end of having so much to do. Um, sitting down and making a list is really useful for me to kind of sort through my thoughts and say, okay, what's, what's um, figuring out what's important and what's urgent, right? Some things feel urgent, but they're not necessarily important. Other things um, are not urgent, but they're really important. So trying to sort through, okay, what's important and urgent? Okay, let me take care of that first. Okay, what's important and less urgent? Let me take care of that. Okay, what's urgent, but not important. And then what's you know, not urgent and not important and just kind of prioritizing my time like that has been really, um, really useful for me. And then focusing on, and I talked about this on the Coalition for Health and Fitness Leaders um, expert panel that we did a couple weeks ago, focusing on what's the next right thing that I need to do right now. And I saw a great meme the other day and it's um, like two people walking through a forest and they're like, I can't see my way out of the forest. And it's like, well, but can you see your next step? And it's like, yeah, I can see my next step. And so that has been really helpful for me. I don't, we don't know when this is going to end. We have no idea. Um, and so I think tr getting, and, and there, I understand why people want to know, when are the kids going to go back to school? When am I going to be able to go back to work? Like, I don't want to discount that because I think I understand why people are wanting those answers. And it's like, without those answers, what can we focus on? Like all we can focus on at this moment is the next right thing. And sometimes that's drinking a glass of water. And sometimes it's taking 15 deep breaths and sometimes it's connecting with someone in your family. Um, so from a personal kind of self-care standpoint, the things that I'm trying to do right now are taking deep breaths when I need to, focusing on the next right thing, um, trying to make sure that I'm hydrated and getting movement on a regular basis, um, making sure that I'm limiting the amount of news that I'm taking in and just updating myself maybe once every day or, you know, day or so once or twice a day on, okay, what are the things I need to know right now about, you know, what's happening in Arizona? What am I allowed to do? Um, things like that. Focusing on helping people where I can. Um, focusing on resting when I feel like I need to rest. I slept 13 hours last night. I wasn't feeling so hot last night before bed. So I've been getting my rest. Um, and yeah, just really um, understanding that it's okay also to have all the negative emotions. It's okay to be afraid. There's no right way to feel right now. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to grieve things that feel like they're not that big of a deal, but they feel like a big deal to you. You know, I was listening to Renee Brown's new podcast uh, yesterday called Unlocking Us. And she was talking about this idea of comparative suffering when it's like, I'm super bummed because this conference I wanted to go to next month is canceled. Like that sucks. I had all this stuff planned and, you know, it's like, oh, well, I can't, I can't worry about that. There's people on the front lines in New York who are dying. And it's like, yes. And you can still feel disappointed about the thing that you're disappointed about because our empathy is not finite, right? It's not like if we, if we feel disappointed or feel, you know, empathize with ourselves, right. That we can't also be empathetic to people who are struggling more than we are. It's like when we when we give ourselves the space to feel how we want to feel, our ability to empathize with other people actually grows because our needs are taken care of as well. So, I've been uh, you know allowing myself to grieve things that um, have been disappointing and feel disappointed and feel scared and you know have all of those kind of negative emotions as well, and uh, not judging myself for them. And then. Um, kind of getting back to like, okay, what are, what's the action I can take? For me, um, action is often the antidote to the anxiety or the fear or the uncertainty um, that I'm feeling in, at any point in time. And again, that action might be drinking a glass of water, might be going for a walk, might be taking 15 deep breaths. It might be writing an email to my community, might be connecting with someone that I'm physically distanced from, but don't want to be socially distanced from. Um, so all of those things have been really useful for me. And I think they, again, give us something to do and kind of build our reserve tank so that when we are feeling uncertain or feeling anxious or whatever, we have, a, we have some of that kind of capacity to, to pull from. Uh, this is not working. There we go. Um, thank you, Molly. So, so many good skills there uh, that we can use and practically um, apply 
you know, the, 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 that mental game side of things really is different. And I was, I was really relating when you were saying how, you know, having things to do has been really good for you during this time. And, um, and I know that I was just getting really, because of uncertainty, I was getting really, um, really anxious about a whole bunch of stuff. And, um, but, you know, diving into what's going on and then diving into my work and doing a truckload more podcasts with Marika has been really good for me. I actually feel energized. Um, so I just got to be careful. Not everybody gets energized by piling on more and more work. Uh, I just wanted to also mention that, uh, Sashi, um, that Sashi has written a comment here, hundred percent agree with what Molly is saying about body image and esteem in researching and writing a body esteem course. The best thing I learned is that my body is an instrument for my use, not an ornament for others. Uh, so it's about what your body can do and the goals you set for yourself fit in with that. For example, how much can, can I push my body and do what I want to do? How do I get stronger and healthier? The mindset I have been working on is moving from seeing my body as an ornament for others to an instrument that I can use to be my best self and also service others. So, um, yeah. So thank you to Sashi for dropping that comment. And if, if you guys are loving the comments and I'm seeing uh, likes and hearts fly up on the screen over here, be sure to do that and uh, leave a comment or a question for Molly um, because if, even if, it, if, you, if you're watching it on delay, we can uh, always get back to those questions too. Um, can I quickly jump in, Anthony? I just wanted to say thank you, Molly, for, for mentioning about the grieving the things that aren't a big deal because I've noticed myself dismissing things that are going on in my life because it's, you know, putting it in perspective. So I'll say, oh, you know, I've, I've pretty much shut down, like lost 80, 90% of my income because I'm not treating clients face-to-face um, or whatever. You know, I've just mentioned things and people say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, no, look, it's fine. You know, we have a house, we're healthy yada, yada, yada. And you can feel yourself. I, I do it all the time. dismissing all of these things that actually I am quite sad about because I know that people are going through things that are so much worse. So mm-hmm. it was actually, it, it made me reflect on that. And I will try not to be quite so dismissive of my own feelings as well. Yeah. It builds resentment then when you're like, but well, I'm upset, you know, like it, it, the more you deny how you're actually feeling, the more frustrated and resentful you get about it, you know? And so it actually like quells your ability to be empathic, you know, toward others or empathetic towards others. So I think that, yeah, allowing ourselves to, to grieve and, you know, it's, it feels like we are just kind of as humans in general, struggling more and more every day to hold kind of two opposing things maybe or two things that feel like they're in opposition to each other when they're not you know it's like I get to be really sad about these things that you know aren't life or death and other people are struggling with life and death stuff too you know it's like it feels like it's hard to hold those two things like the both ends in um in our in our brains and our bodies at the same time it's like it has to be this way or it has to be that way and it's got to be black and white if these people are suffering your suffering can't be that bad you know so i think that i think that just practicing the ability for both and i get to be disappointed about my conference that was canceled i get to be disappointed about my loss in income even though my family can still, you know, make it and we have access to food and all these, all of these things. And, you know, I can, I can feel and grieve for and extend empathy to all the people who have it a lot worse than me. I think that's a, it's a really, I'm finding a really good skill to be able to have in all areas of my life. So I'm glad that was useful for you, Marika. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's definitely a common experience, isn't it? And, um, that is really useful to be able to have that. Um, we'll try and find that Brené Brown link and, and have it in the show notes, perhaps. Um, shifting gears a little bit, uh, had a had a question which I would love to hear from your story uh, because, you know, we don't give personal advice. Um, we give general advice for educational purposes only. Um, but in your journey with uh, hypothyroidism, and nutrition, you know, training moderately heavy and not seeing the gains suspected because of hormonal issues. Can you give us some of your, uh, what you've seen and felt during your journey and 
and what you've learned through that, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I get that question a lot because I have hypothyroidism and I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I get a lot of questions from women about how they should train for these certain, you know, with these certain conditions. And it's, um, it's a little tricky when you have uh, hypothyroidism and you have polycystic ovarian syndrome and I've had adrenal stuff. I always, it's so it's kind of like chasing a moving target, you know, like I'll get my blood work done and then I'll have my numbers and then we'll make the, you know, I'll work with my doctor to make the adjustments and then we'll do my blood work again in four months and it'll be different. And it's like, well, everything in my life's actually different than it was four months ago. You know, I, yes, I've, we maybe made changes to my medication or whatever, but like my sleep might be different and my stress might be different and my environment might be different. And so, you know, one of the things that I've really had to, um, really had to accept in having these kinds of conditions that I'm managing is that like, I can't control the outcome. I can only control the inputs. I can only control the things that I can do. Um, and that's been hard, you know, but it's, it's actually true of pretty much everything in life, right? We can't control the outcome. We can only control what we do with ourselves. But I think that that five year span from 2004 to 2009 when I was 19 to 24 years old, I did feel like I had so much control over my body because it would literally be like, okay, well, I need to get leaner now. I'm going to dial back my calories by 5%. Literally, my body would just respond. And I don't know if there's any other point in time in which our bodies will respond like that than maybe that like 19 to 24 year old um, time period. But first things first for me, it has been it has been recognizing that when you have, when you have, you know, have something like a, like a autoimmune thyroid disease or polycystic ovarian syndrome, that you are kind of chasing a moving target. It's going to be really difficult to control the specific outcome. The only thing that I can control are the inputs. And so, you know, I have to do the best that I can with that. So that's been really helpful for me. Um, resigning myself or understanding that my body probably isn't ever going to be able to maintain a, the level of leanness that I once had and also maintain the level of health that I'm interested in. And so the point in time in my life when I've been incredibly lean, I've lost my period. I've been really exhausted. My hair has fallen out, you know? So it's like, okay, which of those, you know, do I want? You know, I, I do, I, I can um, be fit and be healthy and be strong and, you know, um, do activities that I enjoy and also have health. I'm just not going to be as lean as I once was, you know, when I was preparing for figure or whatever. Um, so getting to the point where I'm okay with that, um, in terms of my nutrition and my exercise, like I said, I've for years, one of my goals in the gym was to do things that didn't hurt. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of like, for a lot of people, it sounds like a really low level goal, but like, if you've had chronic pain, being able to do stuff that doesn't hurt is like, feels like the biggest victory in the world. Um, so for me, I, uh, I don't count calories. I don't count, you know, macros. I don't follow any type of particular, like really strict plan. Um, I have gotten very good over the years at listening to my body and being able to tune into my hunger and fullness cues. Um, so eating when I'm hungry, um, eating slowly so that I can really enjoy and savor my food um, and that my body has time to figure out when I'm full or close to full. I stop before I'm stuffed. I stop when I'm satisfied, which again has been a skill. Um, I had some uh, bit of food scarcity growing up. We didn't have a lot of money and my mom, single mom, three girls went back to law school shortly after she and my dad divorced. So it was um, uh, when I was very young, we actually struggled with having food. And then as I got a little bit older, we had food in the house, but it was like, okay, once this runs out, like there's no more for the week, you know, you know, when your kids like open the pantry, they're like, we don't have anything to eat. It's cause you know, there's plenty of food in there. They just don't like it. Uh, that was like that a little bit more as I got older, but um, yeah. So I've had some, I've had scarcity around food before. So it was actually really challenging when I, there's a food that I really liked to eat and it's sitting in front of me not to want to eat at all. Right. Cause I've been in a place where I didn't have as much as I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've really had to practice being able to stop when I'm satisfied and not stuffed. 
prioritizing eating protein and vegetables. Um, a lot of people, it's a keto diet's really popular right now. Um, that can be really difficult for people with thyroid disease to go to do a keto diet. So I make sure that I'm eating enough carbs, but um, also with my PCOS, I have some um, insulin resistance and blood sugar issues. So if I eat too many carbs, I start to feel really crummy and kind of crash. So yeah, it's just kind of in this delicate balance of listening to my body, eating when I'm hungry, stopping when I'm satisfied and not stuffed, um, prioritizing protein and vegetables. It's a very unsexy like answer. <laughs> like it's literally just doing the, the, the nutrition basics. I mean, there's a reason that these are foundational foundational nutrition skills that we teach in our certifications and in our coaching programs with our clients it's because that's what works you know I make sure that I stay hydrated I drink enough water um, I you know eat from a rainbow of fruits and veggies and um, and then I also eat pizza and tacos and halo top ice cream and um, you know I, I eat foods that I enjoy as well and don't ever restrict anything I just kind of tune into to my body so that has worked for me and that doesn't make me a super shredded, ready to step on stage figure competitor, but that I don't think that with what I have going on in my body with my hormone issues and what my goals of wanting to maintain good health are, I don't think those two things are compatible. So it's been definitely a mindset shift for me in terms of, um, in terms of kind of reprioritizing what's important to me, what I want from my body, what I think is possible, what I'd have to give up if I tried to achieve a certain goal. Um, so that's kind of, kind of where I'm at with, with my thyroid issues and PCOS. I like the big rocks, Molly, the big rocks. Mm -hmm. It's funny talking about fullness, um, and listening to your story. I don't know, Anthony, if you had a similar story, but it was very much one of, you know, a, a story of my upbringing too, being one of four kids, very little money and growing up where you, and Dave, my husband's the same. We, we all had to finish everything on our plate. And we couldn't leave the table until we finished everything on our plate, even if, even if we didn't want it. And I know this came from a place of love. And also my parents never wanted to throw anything away because, you know, it was so, we just didn't have enough money. You couldn't just waste things. But I found, and I still struggle to not finish everything on my plate because it feels um, like almost naughty, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. because it's so ingrained that you, you eat what's given to you and you are grateful for that. And it's a very hard thing to actually stop yourself and go actually I don't need that I don't need that anymore I'm full thank you so much for listening to part one of our interview with Molly Galbraith make sure you tune in for part two which will be immediately following well that's it for this episode be sure to hit like if you enjoyed the episode and leave any comments or questions below we'd really like to hear from you if you haven't already hit subscribe please do so now so that you can be kept notified when we release our next episode Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.